One, two, three, four. In this podcast, you will be here. Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader. Includes, but is not limited to. Talk of Star Wars, not Reagans. We can't truly prepare for the joke that follows this song. But hey, we gave it a try. So here's the Knights of Vader. They are divided For equal sequel Hate and love they fight I know that we are just musicians hired And their time is up So here's the Knights of Vader Impressive Most impressive A big thank you to Inspiriority Complex for providing our new theme song It is September 27, 2018 And we're talking Star Wars and music, or whatever Rob decides that we're doing. Oh, my yeah. name is Zach Weber. Tonight, I am joined not by any of my normal cohorts, but the one and only Amelia Clark's number one fan, <laughs> Rob of An Inspiriority Complex. Oh, thank you so much, Zach, for the introduction, for having me back after the fiasco. Uh, of hatred for Amelia Clark, I would say yes, I'm her number one fan because I, I want her to get better, of course. But we're not here to talk about Amelia Clark. We're here to talk about music, and I am so excited to do so. Now, Zach has given me a, a little bit of control over this episode, and I want to jump right into what I'm planning on doing. I think I've broken it up into two parts. For the beginning, I want to talk a little bit about that new theme song you have. So what is this, the third or fourth time it's aired in front of your podcast? Yeah, I'd say it's at least the third, probably the fourth. Okay, right on. Well, you know, uh, your fans, uh, your listeners have been hearing that for the last few weeks. And and Inspiriority Complex, the band I'm here to represent today, we are the authors of that, the composers, uh, the singers, the performers. And I want to talk a little bit about that theme song, maybe the background, where it came from, um, you know, talking to Zach about how he kind of pushed us out of our comfort zone with it. We'll get into that. It's some cool stuff. But the second thing I want to do is focus on, like Zach said, some actual Star Wars music. And I want to ask you a question, Zach. I haven't asked you this before because I wanted it on the recording. Have you ever talked music for an episode before on your podcast? We talk about different elements of the soundtrack, but we've never delved into it specifically like we're about to. So you've never done like a whole episode with the topic was the music type of thing? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. <laughs> good. Good uh, Good way to cover yourself right there. <laughs> so I am so happy then to really give you kind of, or, you know, the Knights of Vader and all its listeners that first full-on Star Wars music. Because I think that's something that a lot of people know and love, but it doesn't get a, a, too much attention when you think about Star Wars these days. So... Any questions, Zach? Have I laid out my plan well enough for you? Do regrets count as questions? Do regrets count as questions? That's a merchandise item right there. I think that should go on a coffee mug. A very large, <laughs> a very large coffee mug. Like, I'm talking like, you know, it's one of the coffee mugs that you can fill with coffee and then whiskey. And on the side oh, of it, okay. it, says, it says, do regrets count as questions? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I would say no, but you can voice regrets if you want to. No, I mean, no, you're gonna no. you're you said, gonna regard. You said questions. Right? You didn't say statements. So okay, proceed. Okay. All right. Well, I would like to get right into it 
with the actual advertisement and the discussion for the first time in an official forum ever, I believe, and in superiority complex. I am so happy that Zach has given me some time, uh, not just in this episode, but at the beginning of each of his episodes, to show off this music. And now, I have to say, I am only one half of an inspiriority complex. There is another member. His name is Jeremy. He is not here today because he is the much busier member. He's off uh, being a super spy, um, working real hard to make sure our band continues on, keeping the enemies down, that type of thing. Now, before we recorded this, when we were kind of preparing, uh, Zach threw me for a little bit of a loop when he was like, oh, even though Jeremy's not going to be recording with us, I want to make sure that he gets his credit. And I was like, of course. Zach, uh, even before you said this, I could talk for hours about how Jeremy is the glue that keeps our band together. Even though he is not the mouthpiece of the, of the ensemble, clearly I take that position, he is really the person that makes all of our music sound as great as it does. If you've ever heard my music before I started working with Jeremy, there's actually one album of N Inspirity Complex when he was not involved. It's just noise. It's just nonsense. It's not good. Jeremy has calmed me down, given me focus. He is the reason N Inspirity Complex can actually make sense. So there's his credit. How's that for you, Zach? Is that sufficient? Those regrets are... Are, are appearing again but yes uh i would have liked to have jeremy on you can hear him very briefly in the beginning of the theme song mm -hmm. but like rob said he is clearly the mouthpiece of an inferiority complex yes or, yes yes that's the position that i have taken and jeremy thankfully is okay with that jeremy is has basically given that to me uh with no problem <laughs> i look forward to reading the behind the music whatever is a TV show where we see about the fact that Jeremy was furious that you took the spotlight. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll have to see how it all plays out in history books, right? Yes. Well, well, I guess I have to get into the question that everybody is thinking, right? There's one thing that when I start to talk about Jeremy and I's music and inferiority complex, what the hell is inferiority? <laughs> uh, very unfortunately, Google does not recognize this as a word. If you type this into Google, inspiriority, I-N-S-P-E-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y, it will say, did you mean inferiority? We're working really hard trying to make Google not think that that's a misspelling, but that's going to take some time. But the question is, well, what is this thing, this combination of words? And that's exactly what it is. Inspiriority is a combination, a portmanteau, of inspiration and inferiority. And this is the motivation behind all of Jeremy and I's music. And we're going to get into how this plays a role in the theme song that we recorded for Knights of Vader. But we feel that there is music out there that we love so much and we look up to that we are inspired by it. But at the same time, it's so good that we feel we can never live up to it. So we are some sense inferior to it. And that is where inferiority complex comes from. And that's us. We both feel this way. It drives our creation of music. And uh, I think it's something that a lot of people feel. You know, they feel that, oh man, someone's done it so well. Why should I do it? But that's kind of the stance we're taking. Take that as inspiration, not just inferiority. I have to mention 
of course, it would be a terrible, terrible waste to say that that's our motivation and not list some of the bands that Jeremy and I feel inspirioritized by. Zach's going to know some of these, actually. The first one, Animal Collective. You remember that band, right, Zach? Of course. I still have nightmares about the clown zombie to this day. Of course. Yes, the sad vampire. <laughs> so Animal Collective, I would say Jeremy and I are both hugely inspired by. Chelsea Wolf. Shout out to Chelsea Wolf. If somehow you hear this, we would love to work with you. We are majorly inspired by you. Sigur Ross, the Icelandic band that sings in a made-up language. I think that's one of Zach's favorites. And lastly, just of what I'm going to mention, this list could go on for days, St. Vincent. St. Vincent is a current artist, you know, not that the others aren't, but she's doing great, great stuff that we are constantly inspired by. So that is what inspiriority means. Did that make some sense, Zach? Yes. When okay. Rob first told me about the name, I tried Googling it for like three or four hours until eventually I figured out the correct spelling of it because Google's like, this is not a word. Move <laughs> on. Yes, we are, we are trying to fix that. we got to have enough people type it into Google so Google can start, and its AI and its algorithms can start to recognize this as a true term and the name of our band. So if you know you got some free time, any of the listeners, just go to Google and just keep typing in this word and searching it over and over and over. Individual searches. <laughs> All right. You heard it, Pork Knight. Get on it. All right. So uh, while we're on the topic of an inferiority complex, before the theme song, got to do the ad spot. Really quick, got to get it in here, Zach. We have one album currently. It is called Hitting Things and Moving Air. Literally what we do on the album. We hit instruments and we move air. It is on all the major platforms, iTunes, Amazon, Bandcamp, Spotify. You can find it, you know, pretty easily by looking for the album title or our band name. You can also, if you go to Bandcamp, find a free version of the Fry song, an Adventure Time cover. Now, the next thing I have to say, which I'm very excited to talk about, Jeremy and I are very excited to officially announce that at the end of 2018, we will be releasing our second album. It's going to be titled Semi-Perfect Yet Sublime, and it is going to be uh, a step up from our first, we think. Our first album is very raw, very just us recording music, being angry at the overproduction of a lot of today's music. This album, we think we're putting something together very unique, very beautiful, very, very worth listening to. So I'm sure Zach will let you know when that album drops, uh, well, sometime in December, maybe, end of 2018, and we'll keep you updated. You can keep an eye on our Facebook page, An Inspiriority Complex. That's where we're going to post a lot of our updates, our news, any singles that might drop, things like that. Zach's going to put, basically, all of this in the show notes, right? The show notes is going to be an essay, and it's going to be all these different links and, and things like that. So many links, so little time. <laughs> all right, perfect. Well, Zach, I have to say right now, do you have any questions about an inferiority complex? Anything that uh, jumped into your head that you, you thought you might want to know more about while you got me here? Zach and I barely talk if you know our relationship. So while you got me, Zach, any questions? No, this is kind of like a Bigfoot sighting right now. <laughs> he's just taking pictures. it all in. Yeah, it's all out of focus, and he doesn't understand it completely, but he's just basking in all its glory. Uh, okay. No, well, I'd like to know a little bit more context behind the uh, Knights of Vader theme. Perfect. I am so glad that you asked that. That is the next thing I wanted to talk about. Um, so I want to start with the background. I, I think 
that when Zach first came to me, geez, Zach, what was it? Four, three or four months ago now that you asked me to do this theme song? Two months? Actually, I'm pretty sure it was like Operation Desert Storm. <laughs> it's been years in the making. It's been decades. It's been a while. Um, I remember Zach, when we sat down to talk one day, Zach was like, hey, you know, I would be interested in having a theme song. Would you guys want to record it? And, you know, I'd give you a little bit of an ad spot on Knights of Vader. I could not say yes fast enough. I said yes before I even talked to Jeremy, I think. <laughs> I was just like, of course we want to do this, Zach. We would love to do a theme song. As we got the ball rolling, when I very ambitiously said yes to this project, Jeremy and I had some ideas. We recorded them, sent them back and forth. I guess it should be said, uh, Jeremy and I live very far apart. We do the good old Dropbox very much like the Postal Service. That's a That might be a dated reference for the use of Dropbox and music, but that's the only one I know. Uh, and we just kind of build up tracks as we go. We had some ideas, we sent them back and forth, and we had one thing that we were kind of like, man, this sounds really good. And I sent it to Zach. And I said, Zach, you should listen to this, and this is kind of the first test of the waters. If you like this, what we're doing with the theme song, if you want it different, you know, let us know. Zach listened to it while I was basically sitting here. He was like, okay, Rob, shut up. I'm going to listen to this. And he listened to it and said, it's pretty, but it's not what I want. <laughs> I think that's basically a good way to sum it up. If, if you want to peek behind the curtains, Zach then proceeded to send me the DuckTales theme song. <laughs> <laughs> and said, this is what I'm looking for. And at that point, I'm a horrible um, person. no, no, no. So at that point, we that was a necessary step. That was the first step in this theme song. Uh, I've given Zach, I, I've told Zach before, if he ever wants to play it, he can play that first demo I sent him. If you want to include it here, it is pretty. It is beautiful. And a fun fact, it is completely made out of notes that are related to Darth Vader's theme song. That was our inspiration for Knights of Vader. But Zach said no. Zach basically gave us the hard no for our first attempt at a theme song, so we had to regroup. And actually, very, very kind of luckily, Zach wanting the theme song and Jeremy and I being in the same place, specifically him coming to visit me out here in Colorado, happened at the same time. Jeremy came out here, we were together in person, and we spent basically three days working on music, working on this theme song. And at the end of, I think, the second of those days, we sent Zach three demos. Do you remember this, Zach? Do you remember those three demos we sent you? Oh, man. The first time it was Operation Desert Storm, then the second one was Operation Iraqi Freedom. <laughs> so we sent Zach three demos and said, these are the three great ideas that we've come up with. We want you to pick one. We'll focus on that and make it great. And two of the demos were instrumentals. One of the demos had lyrics. And of course, 
Zach was like, I want the one with lyrics. I want more lyrics. I want words. And at the time, Jeremy and I were like, oh, shit. we are not a lyrical band. I, you know, just spur of the moment when we were jamming, had an idea for some lyrics. Very stupid lyrics, I might add. Literally, the first thing I thought of for lyrics as an intro to a podcast was the line, in this podcast, you will hear. That is not, <laughs> that is not intelligent. That is low-hanging fruit. But Zach loved it. And Jeremy and I were kind of like, oh my god, we have to do something with this now. Because Zach wants more lyrics. And this is the first big point. The first thing I really want to make clear to you, Zach, and all of the Knights of Vader fans, you pushed us to go out of our comfort zone with this theme song. When you wanted lyrics, and you wanted, we'll get to it, even more lyrics after we sent you the next iteration, this pushed us. This is probably the most lyrical song we have right now, to be honest. But because of it and how good we think it came out, we're trying to add more lyrics to our, our new tracks, our second album, and the things we're working on collaborating with other people. So, Zach, Knights of Vader, thank you. Thank you for pushing us out of our comfort zone. Because, one, it worked. I think the theme song came out great. And, two, it's only going to lead to better music for N Inspirority Complex in the long run. So just as much as you thank us at the start of every episode, we have to say thank you every time we're growing from this experience. Did you expect that, Zach? I find it very amusing that you sent me an instrumental and my first response was the DuckTales theme song. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted on record that it wasn't even the original DuckTales theme song. It's the theme song the of the revival. One. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but that was, was actually a really, wrong in hell for people like me. That was a really important step because the whole point of us giving you that first demo was to get a gist of what you wanted. You know, that's an important thing. When someone hires you to create something, you want to get an idea of what they want. And so that was an important step. But yes, it is pretty funny that we were 100%, maybe 110% completely off the mark with the first attempt. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my notes were, I want it to be fun. I think that, that was my only note I had the entire time. Like, Rob's like, what do you want? I'm like, I don't understand music. Just make it fun. Make it jovial. <laughs> and Rob's like, well, how about this? And I'm like, whatever. Just make it fun. That, that was the only, like, the, the sole note I had, which I felt really bad. Because I had no idea. Well, like, kind of like Rob said, I, I didn't have an idea of what I wanted. Like, all he really had to go on was, like, the DuckTales theme song. <laughs> now, that's not a joke. Like, that's literally all I kind of gave him. Yeah, that is not like we're not being facetious. We're not exaggerating. He he literally sent me the Ducktales theme song YouTube <laughs> video, like straight up. He's like, "This is what I want." Boom! The message came through. Ducktales is what I was watching. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the only note that accompanied it was make it fun, make it sound fun. Yes, and that's pretty much. Yes. And, and pretty much the only two notes I guess that where I made a mistake were more fun and more lyrics. That was that was <laughs> that was it. Yes, yes. So so continuing that history with the more lyrics, like I have to mention, um, we did it. We pushed ourselves uh, for basically half of the song being lyrics. So for the next version that we sent to Zach for his approval or his, you know, comments, it, it was basically what you're hearing today in the current theme song, except only the first half had lyrics. And I think there was a really cool vocal part in the second half at one point. Here's... The 
I think there was a really cool guitar solo at one point over the second half. But no, Zach was like, more lyrics, more lyrics, more lyrics, and we had to continue to push ourselves. And we did it. We think we came up with some great stuff. I remember I sent lyrics to Zach, and he was like, I love it. And there we go. We cleaned it up after that, and that's the theme song that you have now. I got a fever. And the only prescription is is more lyrics. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So... In the final version, the version that Zach has, uh, I want to give a little bit of a breakdown. Now that you have the background of it, I want to give a breakdown of what you're actually hearing. And this is actually pretty quick. It's surprisingly a simple track. Um, the bass sound, kind of the thing that permeates the whole whole 45 seconds, is Jeremy playing a 12-string acoustic and me playing a 6-string acoustic. So just acoustic guitars, that's the music you're hearing in the background. Of course, like Zach said, Jeremy performs the countdown at the start. That is a crucial part of the song. I remember, I think, what was it, like yesterday or a few days ago, Zach was like, I left that in there. I want that to be in there. And I was, and I'm like, you, you should have left that in there. That's a part of the song. <laughs> and then we get um, the drums and the percussion that's mixed by both of us through the use of a computer. That's not live drums. We have a whole philosophy of how we don't really like to use live drums. That's a story for another time. And then lastly, it is me singing. As weird as that sounds, (laughs) even to myself, that is me layering my voice as many times as it takes to sound decent. That's it. That is the Knights of Vader theme song. Hey kids, Rob almost forgot, shockingly, that under the second half of the intro, Jeremy's playing electric guitar. It's, It's still young. It's in its early, early weeks. I hope that eventually this becomes a staple of Knights of Vader. People love it for those lyrics. I think those are great lyrics that you pushed us to do, Zach. You know, the Crystal Fox versus the Porgs, the prequels, the sequels, all that stuff. It is good, good, good music, I have to say. And if you, if you don't you like if you don't like the theme song, please get a three three by five index card, write down all of Amelia Clark's awards and achievements in acting and send it to the following address. Rob at something something Colorado US. Dot, dot com. Dot com <laughs> dot net dot org. Dot see, US. See, I think if there are any true diehard fans out there who are audiophiles and, you know, they like to tweak audio that exists out there, I would I would say that an inspirity complex would love to hear if you took our theme song and mixed in some Amelia Clark clips. That would be pretty cool. I don't, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sift through Amelia Clark clips. But I would listen to it. I would hate it, but I would listen to it. Challenge accepted. <laughs> All right. So there's actually one last thing I have to say about the Knights of Vader theme song. And it's something that Zach told me about many weeks ago. But I'm now just bringing up. At the very end of this theme song, there is a clip that N Inspiriority Complex did not choose to put in there. Zach basically said, I'm going to put my own end to this song. And correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, but I tried to do my research. You put the clip of Darth Vader from The Empire Strikes Back saying, impressive, most impressive. Yes. And it, so it's from The Empire Strikes Back? 
Si, senor. Woo! I got it right! Good. I, I stood my ground on the Knights of Vader with some Star Wars knowledge. And an inferiority complex would officially like to say, for the first time ever, that we wholeheartedly approve of this clip that you have put in, Zach. That's what Zach told me back in the day. He was like, I think you're going to like it. We love it. To write a theme song for the Knights of Vader, which is basically originally inspired, the music and the, the notes behind it at least, by the, the Vader theme song, the Imperial March, for you to put a clip in of Vader saying impressive, most impressive, perfect. That's, that's our version of a Grammy as far as I'm concerned. We absolutely love it, Zach. Thank you once again. And with that, I think that's all I had to say about Knights of Vader theme song. I hope everybody continues to love it and an inferiority complex. Anything and else if, about those, Zach? And if you don't like it, please, like I said, get a three by five card with <laughs> all of any sort, even compliments you, even it's not even an award. If you have any compliments for Amelia Clark in the pitch of her voice, please send it to the following address <laughs> Rob at Colorado.us. <laughs> dot com <laughs> dot io if you got nothing to say about my music jeremy's music and inspirity complex are you ready to get into star wars star wars tunes is it fun does it have lyrics the intro does the star wars music does not well one of the things i want to talk about actually does have lyrics Oh, geez. Well, I'm just going to have to sit there, unplug my earphones, and listen to the DuckTales theme song for the next couple hours. <laughs> That's going to be in the background very slightly. You might hear it on a you know a clear night or something like that. <laughs> yeah, if you're, if you're really if you're like in an empty room and you're listening to this episode, you'll very like faintly hear... Well, let me start this whole segment, my second half of, of this control Zach has given me <laughs> over Knights of Vader... Zach, do you know what diegetic music is? Have you heard that before? Uh, reads notes, says plays along. No, Rob, I do not know a dia, dia Isn't that Scientology, dia, Dianetics? Is that where I grab the meters and it tells oh. me how much money I give Tom Cruise? Oh my god, you might actually be right. I didn't think of that. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like, it's like diakinetics or something. Hey kids, Zach is right. It is Dianetics. What you're saying is L. Ron Dia Hubbard wrote the music for Star Wars. Diakinesis? I typed it in, I typed Diakinetics into Google and it was like, did you mean diabetes? Did you mean <laughs> Liam Neeson? <laughs> Qui-Gon Jinn wrote the music? Okay, so it very it very well might be in the Scientology community, something like that, but no, we are talking about diegetic music. Diegetic music might not be something that you're familiar with. Uh, I honestly did not know the term until I actually sat down to figure out what I wanted to talk about in regards to Star Wars and the music in it. And that's exactly the point I'm trying to make. Diegetic music, you might not know the formal definition, which I'll get to, of course. But the best example, the most common example, the most well-known example of diegetic music is... Star Wars. This is kind of the reason I wanted to talk about this. When I was doing my research on music and Star Wars, I fell down many rabbit holes. Of course, you can do the low-hanging fruit of what classical composers influenced John Williams. And there's a lot of research out there on that, and it's really interesting stuff. There's a classical song, I think, by Wagner, that is basically identical 
to the Imperial March, but you know Darth Vader's theme. It is clearly the inspiration for it. There's another song we're going to talk about uh, by Puffovsky, I believe. I might not be pronouncing that correctly right, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I'm jumping the gun. I'm jumping the gun, Zach. Hey, kids, Rob just demonstrated how wrong he can be trying to remember composers. He was actually thinking of Holst and Prokofiev. Star Wars and diegetic music are linked. These two things are so closely put together that most people don't even realize it. So here we go. Diegetic music is simply music that you hear in a movie or a TV show that the characters in that movie or TV show hear as well. Simple enough, right? It makes sense, Zach. It's like when you see characters doing something, you're hearing music that they're hearing as well. This is Star Wars. There's, I think, so many examples of this in Star Wars. You can actually find Reddit posts just listing tons of YouTube videos of diegetic Star Wars music from all the movies, from all the TV shows, from all the books, all of these different forms that Star Wars takes. And that is what I want to focus on today. The concept of diegesis in film could be expanded I especially think we, one day, Zach, you and I should talk about diegetic music in comedy movies, because that is a huge form it takes when the characters, I'm thinking of Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks did a lot of stuff where you think it's just music for the audience, but then the characters hear it as well, and they get confused by it, things like that. High Anxiety. I think that might have been one of the first movies to, to employ that like so consistently. But we are here today to focus on Star Wars. Even with Star Wars, we could talk about this forever. We could talk about this till Zach goes to sleep. So I decided I'm going to cut things down. I'm going to streamline it. I'm going to focus on five main diegetic songs or diegetic items in Star Wars that are pretty interesting to talk about. Are you ready to jump right into it, Zach, or do you have any questions? Nope. I okay. am good. Okay, so I'm going to start with the easiest example. I think that if you actually sat somebody down, if you explained to them the concept of diegetic music, you said, give me one example, and they thought about it, I think for a good part of the population, they would say, the cantina band in the original Star Wars, in A New Hope, when Luke and Obi-Wan go into, what is it, the most Eisley cantina? Zach, I should say, correct me if I'm wrong on any of the Star Wars stuff. Uh, you are the expert for sure. When they go in, we hear one of the most famous songs in all of history. I think everybody knows that song, and if you give them time to think about diegetic music in Star Wars, the concept of what do the characters hear as well, it is that scene. What do you think about that, Zach? Is this as iconic as I think it is in the Star Wars community? Uh, in musical sense, it's weird, considering how everything from Star Wars has to be borrowed or we have to pay homage. It, in the Disney-era films... And even, I guess, looking at the uh, 
the prequels to a lesser extent, there's not a lot, like every, it's funny, every single Disney Star Wars film has to have a shot of people in the cantina with a song yeah. playing in the background or some sort of melody. Mm-hmm. Yet we've never heard the cant. Okay, from my, at least my understanding, again, I don't have a complete 112% understa- of knowledge of everything in Star Wars, but I don't think there's ever been an instance, at least in the really the main pieces of Star Wars media, where we hear the cantina band, or at least, because I know there's two different cantina band songs. There's two different songs in The New Hope. Yes. The fir- I, I know the first one we really don't, we don't ever see again. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't hear it again, at least in, in any other movie. We get things like they do in. I'm not sure if you were going to touch upon it, so I don't want to jump ahead too far. Sure. But sure. I know for like JJ in The Force Awakens, there was the Jabba Flow song. Oh, Jabba. Oh, Jabba. Tries really hard to do that most side. again. Obviously, it's, it's it's a different type of song, but it's trying really hard, trying to be like a the oh god. If the Cantina Band song is like the Wild Wild West space <laughs> Western version, <laughs> the Jabba Flow from The Force Awakens like is like the Starbucks version. Okay, I'm glad I'm glad you bring up the Jabba Flow because that is, as you said, clearly trying to emulate the Cantina Band music that has become so well known. Um, but I don't think it hits the mark. Uh, I don't think it's, it's as, as, I don't know. See, that's, that's the thing I'm trying to gauge from you, Zach, is because I'm coming at this by saying that Cantina Band song that we played, you know, the do-do-do-do-do-do-do, as far as I'm concerned, that is one of the most iconic songs ever. I think that people I know, know that song. It might be the case, like we talked about with the Beatles and Pink Floyd on this other podcast we do. That people know this song, but we might be getting to the point where they don't know it's from Star Wars. Would you think that's accurate? Uh, Do you think this song has that cultural impact that I'm saying it does? I think probably one of the very few things of Star Wars that's outside of, obviously, Darth Vader's theme Mm -hmm. and the the throne room of, of A New Hope. I think it's one of the few things that's still that's still more or less intact. Okay. Okay. Right on. Good. And that um, Luke is never Luke is never meddled with that. So I, I think that's one that that's certain. Much like uh, the Yub Nub song from Return of the Jedi, which I, which sadly got erased during the special edition era. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't we don't have that anymore. But no, I think the Cantina Band. It's again, it's not as iconic as Vader's theme or the Throne Room. But I'd say it's definitely at the very least top five. Y- yes. Okay. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I think it's a great song. The you know it's it's got a lot of a good you know woodwind instruments in it. It's a it's a great piece of music. Uh, if you listen to the whole thing, I think as well, it's a good piece of music. You know because there's the part that we hear a lot or very pronounced in the film that kind of people latch on to. But it is I think on the soundtrack like a full three minutes or three and a half minutes or something like that. So do you know Zach? Are you uh, are you up enough on your Star Wars random trivia? To know the band, the name of the band that that plays in that cantina. If I had multiple choice, I'd probably know, but not <laughs> off the top of my head. Okay, so I, of course, I don't know off the top of my head. I have to read this off of the internet right now. But apparently, my sources are telling me that it is Figrin Dan and the Modal Nodes. 
Yeah, I know. I know figure and Dan. Yeah, I know. I know that name. I don't. I. I, I would have oh, gotten okay. that multiple choice, but the, the latter part of his band. No, I. I wouldn't have known that. So the latter part of the name is my favorite part of it. The modal nodes. That's a. That's a great phrase. Modal nodes. Like, that just rolls off the tongue. You could probably find that in like a math research paper somewhere. Someone researching modal nodes. M O D A L, of course, modality. I love it. I love that name, Modal Nodes. Figurant Dan and the Modal Nodes. Jeez. You know, I, I it was like 50-50 between that and N inspiriority complex. I'm glad we didn't pick that because we would have had copyright claims. <laughs> yes, Disney was sued your butt from here to Timbuktu. <laughs> okay. So I wanted to start there. I wanted to start with the Cantina Band because I think it is the easiest example. It is the case that people know. I think it's a song that everybody can latch on to. It's a great, great piece of music. Okay, Zach already mentioned it, but I'm going into the next one here. The Max Rebo Band. Jabba, Jabba's Palace Band. Is that what you would call them? Yes, everybody knows Max Rebo, the Blue Elephant. Yeah, I'm pretty sure in my collection of Star Wars action figures that sits at the bottom of a dark closet somewhere in New York now, I have a Max Rebo action figure. I don't. I, I thought that'd be cool to mention. That is Zach's, cool. Zach's like Zach's like I'm going to look for it right now because I, I know, live bro. close. I live closer to this collection than Rob does. <laughs> Your parents get a phone call. Someone tried to break into the house last night. Oh no! It was just Zach. <laughs> <laughs> he wants that blue elephant figure. Yeah. So, so Jabba's Palace Band, Max Rebo Band. I I the whole point I want to make. Zach already mentioned. This is one of the things that Lucas changed in the special edition, is the song that they play when, is it when Luke shows up, or is it when C-3PO and R2-D2 show up to Jabba's Palace? I think it's when, it's, it's before Luke, but I think it's, okay. right, I think it's right before Leia shows up with Chewbacca. Ah, gotcha. Okay. So, um, Zach, you're going to know more about this, because... This is something that I did not know off the top of my head. I kind of had it in my in my brain that I wanted to focus on diegetic music, and I kind of stumbled on this. The fact that the song changed in the versions of Return of the Jedi. Now, I grew up on Return of the Jedi. I know that I, I'm pretty sure I, I saw the original version. I am fairly confident that at one point I knew someone, like a grandparent or something, that had the original version of Return of the Jedi. But uh, maybe only once or twice I saw that. The one I'm more accustomed to is, of course, the special edition, if I'm using the right term. Boo. Uh, yeah, that sucks, I know. But the song, as I did my research, the song in the original version of uh, Return of the Jedi was Lapty Neck. That's the name of it. Two words, Lapty Neck. And then it was replaced with the song Jedi Rocks, which we get oh to see God. in Aliens Uvula. That's the, oh right? God. The Aliens Uvula? Yeah. 
know... I hate that song so much. Do you, I, I'm glad we agree. Why this change would ever be made? Because Lucas, Lucas was at his mind. This is, that's the only acceptable answer as far as I'm concerned. Because... What is it? Lefty Neck. I had to find the YouTube video of it like, to find someone who actually had a copy of it like in poor quality. It's, it's a song. It's a real song. It's a reserved piece of music. Jedi Rocks is just like... I, honestly, if, you, if I didn't know it was from a Star Wars movie and you played it for me, I would be like, this is a satire of scat jazz. Like a really, really bad satire That's of scat jazz. That's probably what it is. That's probably what it is, if I had to guess. That's offensive to me. I'm offended by that. It's a very, very, very poor appreciation of what that type of music is, I feel. It is bad. I think it's a not It's not a good song. It's all over the place. Hell, like I said before, it's like the music I produced before Jeremy came along. It's noisy. It's raucous. It doesn't make any sense. There's no theory behind it. Uh, it blows my mind. And I'm glad that you agree, Zach. But is this a common feeling? Are a lot of people upset about this change? The derision for the special editions. It's weird how that kind of contempt for Lucas has kind of faded in the last few years. Mm-hmm. People, don't, I guess, I guess people are just getting u- getting used to the special editions now. It's kind of like unless you go find the unaltered in HD online, it's kind of like I know there's a thing in the Star Wars fan base now where it's like it's kind of like I once had a friend who described what okay. Probably not the best comparison. I remember when YouTube first started doing like YouTube Creator Program, mm-hmm. and he described it as if you read the email they sent you, it was like it was like a clown, and it start like the camera pants the head, and it's like smiling and happy, and the camera slowly pants down further and further, and it has like a gun pointed at you, <laughs> and and I think that's kind of like what's happened with the special editions within the Star Wars fan community. Okay. Obviously, everybody hated the special editions like not even that long ago, maybe eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And yet, over time now, where you have the, uh, I guess, the gatekeepers of Star Wars fandom, uh, the, amongst them, obviously, people like the Star Wars podcasting cartel, who are like, you better like the special editions or else. Okay. It's, it, it's, okay. it's weird. It's weird where that's kind of like, there's this weird sort of like uh, 180 degree shift where it's like, oh, this is awful. Whereas now it's like, oh, you're a bad person if you don't like these. So you're not a good Star Wars fan. Oh. You don't appreciate the special editions. Sure, sure. Yeah, like, and not to get too far off topic with that though, but like people's like, oh, the special the special effects are definitely better, and it's like, no, like, again, no. <laughs> like there's some, there's some like we discussed it on here. There's some nice enhancements here and there. Like it, it's, I think the, the okay. term was a uh, window dressing. The special editions are fine when they do window dressing. But anything, I, again, like Rob stated, like the, I, I don't know it as the, what's the original Snice Noodle song called? Lapty Neck? Lapty Neck. I've heard that term before. I just call it the original Snice Noodle song. Sure, I've, sure. I, I've, when I was growing up, um, Return of the Jedi of the original trilogy was always my favorite. As I grew up, I've kind of moved away from Jedi. <laughs> I still appreciate it for what it is. I think the best part of that whole film is the Jedi, or the Jabba's Palace part. Oh, oh, absolutely. I, I'll say it again. I said it on the only other time I was on this podcast. Return of the Jedi is my favorite Star Wars movie. That Ironically, that is a hot thing. Uh, good. It, and, and I'm agreeing with Zach. Jabba's Palace is my favorite part. The, everything from the, the start of the movie to the Sarlacc pit to him getting choked by Leia. It's all glorious. That's, that's Star Wars to me. Yes. And I always liked that first incarnation. Like I think I've said a few times on here, I grew up with my father's versions of the original trilogy that he mm-hmm. copied when he got HBO free for a summer. 
Nice. So I always knew that until I think around 2002, I got the box set of the, the special editions. But I don't think Lucas changed that until the DVD release in 2004, where okay. he did Jedi Rocks. And, you have, and do you know what the little cockroach man's name is? I do not, unfortunately. Jao Yauza. <laughs> That's his name. Jedi Rocks, I know most people really dislike that. Like, if you talk to anybody over the age of like 35, 40, most of them will say, like, oh, that is clearly it's the inferior version. Yeah. But out of like, like it's funny, as time goes on, there's not a lot of like uh, content comparing the the different editions because you really can't like if like let's say you are someone who gets into Star Wars for the first mm. time, unless you go researching these changes. Yeah. There's no way, like, like if you're somebody and you don't believe in torrents, you're going to be like, "This is the movie." It is like yeah, you, yeah. you don't know any better. It's just mm-hmm. the whole idea is like, like you could be like me and buy the unaltered, despecialized versions on eBay for like fifty dollars, so you have like a physical copy of them. Yep. But unless you're someone who's willing to kind of like go out, like go through the effort in researching it. Mm-hmm. Most people just they 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 look at the little cockroach man. They're like, that's 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 the song. Yeah, yeah, and that's and a little I think bit it's of a bummer. Inferior song. I think it's clearly there's there's it, it loses a lot of its grit, its flavor in the process. You can tell it's something that was done with a computer oh, versus oh. actual instruments. Oh my god, absolutely. I think that's going to be said about the music and that whole scene. Even the CGI in the updated, like, I hate that scene at the end of the uh, special edition of Return of the Jedi, where it's like, what is it, everybody at Coruscant is cheering because the Emperor's yeah. dead? I the hate boo, that scene. Tatooine. Like, that is so clearly CGI. I've, I, I think I hated that even when I was a kid. I was like, the scene doesn't fit. That was another change for the 2004 DVD release. Yeah. That was, well, that's, it's fun chrono, uh, going through the chronological timeline of when Lucas added all these changes. Because mm-hmm. there's, there's never been there's never been a Star Wars release I can think of where he hasn't changed it in some way. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and even funny is that even if you, like, okay, again, off topic a little bit, but if you go and look at the, the Disney streaming versions, like the ones that are like on iTunes, Vudu, Whatever yeah, yeah. you can do, they change those because on the on Empire through Revenge of the Sith, they got rid of the 20th Century Fox fanfare, <laughs> and now you have like a Star Wars musical flourish over the Lucasfilm logo. <laughs> oh, that's cold. That's so, cold, Lucas owned five through three what a time to be alive yes (laughs) but now well the thing that's gonna be interesting about this was that uh because the streaming editions or i guess the digital versions uh debuted in i think april 2015 but now that disney is acquiring fox they can do that to a new hope like before they were forced to have the Fox logo in front of a new hope. There's nothing they could have done about that. But now they're going to own all the Fox assets. They can wipe that now off. That's a really good point. Yeah. Going back to star, like, even though this is getting kind of a tangent to star Wars music, like everybody think about, I would imagine most people who are listening to this, uh, you, you were introduced to star Wars through the 20th century Fox fanfare. Mm -hmm. And now they're the new generation of star Wars fans do not know that because every, I think the, 
the Blu-ray release still has the 20th Century Fox fanfare. I, I, I don't think okay. they've changed that. I could be wrong. If anybody's bought a copy of the original trilogy new since 2015, mm -hmm. uh, please comment below. But yeah, that's a weird part. Of stuff. It's funny. That's another aspect of Star Wars history that people now or new fans will really never know because Disney's just, yeah. we don't want their logo on it. Which at the same time, if they wanted to, uh, now that they own the Fox assets, Disney could put that back to to the six films. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. Sure. They could if they want to. Heck, we could. They could even do a, a really weird fan edit where all they do is add a 20th Century Fox fanfare in front of their era <laughs> yeah. of the Star Wars films, Force Awakens yeah. through Solo. Like that. That's that's a really interesting idea as a fan edit. Just put the 20th Century Fox fans. Yeah. In front of I, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You're you're absolutely right. That's a really interesting interesting idea. Um, as a fan edit, it'd be pretty easy, but uh, it'd be pretty powerful at the same time. I love it. Yeah. That's uh, that's. But again, no. Going back to Jedi rocks and uh, it's nice noodles. Oh. Oh. Well. No. There is there is actually one thing that you said somewhere in there that I want to comment on. You said so. I, I didn't know this. I, I of course I've known. I've seen that documentary. What the people versus George Lucas. I've done my research into how George Lucas is always tweaking the Star Wars movies. Or always is a rough term. He tweaked them after twenty years or something like that. Um, well, he but, always. Well, he always. Okay, not to cut yeah, it sure. off, but he yeah, always sure. he always Tell altered me. them though. Like there was there's nobody will ever know what the unless you were in a theater in 1977, 1978 uh -huh. on the first okay. home video release. Of Star Wars, he changed stuff that like it wasn't anything monumental, mm -hmm. but like he changed the speed of the opening crawl. He okay. did he he did minor things like nobody really noticed unless you were a I, I I guess I guess maybe he took notes and that's what we have now. Yeah, yeah. But no, like uh, th there were always changes, but they they really didn't get drastic until the special editions. Oh, okay. Well, well, that even that's gonna help me make make this idea clearer even better. I want to pitch a meme. Right here, right now. I want to I want to combine something from the Star Wars world with something from the music world, and it's probably going to be a hot take. I want to start a meme, Zach. That is basically every single iteration of this meme is proof that George Lucas and Kanye West are the same person. What do you think? I'm liking where this is going. So Kanye West is very, very well known for his tweaking. I think there's, what, Life of Pablo, which is his last, well, actually not anymore, second to last studio album. Uh, he, he tweaked, what, there's like 12 different versions of Wolves or something like that. That's the reason why the album came out late, was because he was tweaking tracks when he was supposed to be, like, finalizing it. What do you think? George Lucas and Kanye West are the same person. <laughs> I think they'd be, they'd be two fun people to sit in a room together. That interview would be fantastic <laughs> he's locked me in a coat closet somewhere at a party and be like hash it out do it <laughs> and be like just talk <laughs> now kiss <laughs> okay no i like that i really like learning that about george lucas that he was always tweaking because um you know there's part of me that's like star wars is great leave it alone but there's the other part of me where it's like i feel the same way with the stuff i create you know and this purity complex you release the final version of a track, and you're like, man, I could have changed this little tiny detail, this little tiny detail. Sometimes people don't notice those, and George Lucas is kind of that madman who changed things on a grand scale. Uh, but, you know, it, it, that's, a, that's a tough discussion. Maybe we'll get to that another time.
So Jedi rocks, right? <laughs> yeah, Jedi rocks. So the only other thing I have to say about Jedi rocks and Max Rebo band as diegetic music, I want to give, if I can, Zach, maybe Zach will edit this out. I don't know. I want to give a little bit of a of a glimpse of the future. I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about just real quick. What if David Lynch had directed this? What band would we have gotten in Jabba's Palace? Are you ready for my thought? David Bowie dressed as an alien. What do you think? Maybe. Maybe? So I'll do some more research when we when we actually get down in the weeds of talking about David Lynch's Return of the Jedi. I'll do some more research. To be fair, I don't know when David Bowie and David Lynch met and started working together because, of course... Uh, Fire Walk With Me was much longer after <laughs> Return of the Jedi. Um, but I'm, I'm well, thinking we could have had a good David Bowie music scene in Return of the Jedi. Well, that's that's an interesting concept because obviously David Bowie was in Labyrinth, which was a Ron Howard-directed mm-hmm. film and a George Lucas-produced project. Yep, yep. So I don't know. And probably, obviously, with Star Wars, Bowie would have been much more reluctant to come on board. Oh, that so Zach, Zach is hitting the great... Nails on the head. Bowie was not a commercial artist. Very famously, he turned down his knighthood from the Queen. The Queen was like, we want to make you Sir David Bowie. And he said, no, this has nothing to do with my career. I've never wanted to work towards it. I refuse this award. So him being in a major motion picture like the third Star Wars? Great point, Zach. Is this before or after he became a giant tea kettle that talks? The knighthood? No, the giant tea kettle. Oh, the giant tea kettle? Uh, I think that was after. Okay, good. Just want to make sure. <laughs> so Twin Peaks, the return humor for any wasn't of you that, Was that a tea kettle? I, wasn't that a, like a boiler? <laughs> Whatever. Philip, why didn't you want to talk about Judy? Who is Judy. Does Judy want something from me? Why don't you ask Judy yourself? Let me write it down for you. Who is Judy? Who is Judy? <laughs> Play a phone ringing in the background, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised I remembered that part of the return, but I couldn't remember what happened when Bridget from Trapped in the Closet was in here. Okay, enough of the stuff Zach has to edit out. Can we move on to the next diegetic piece of music I have to play? Or talk uh, about? It has to be Return of the Jedi, right? What, the next diegetic yeah. music? Uh, I'm not sure what you mean, that it has to be Return of the Jedi. It has to be the Ewok celebration at the end. Oh, okay, okay. Well, Zach, I decided to skip the Ewok celebration. What? Yeah, it's... We could talk about it for sure, but I think at the end of the day, there's something that's more important that we need to talk about because it blew my mind. There's nothing more important than Yub Nub. So, Zach, the next one I want to talk about is the granddaddy of them all. The 
arguably most famous song in all of Star Wars. I said the Cantina Band was the most famous piece of diegetic music. I'm saying that this song is the most famous piece of Star Wars musical composition. And it is the Imperial March, Darth Vader's theme. Right off the bat, Zach, agree or disagree that this is the most famous piece of Star Wars music? I would say outside of the opening, like the the opening, this, I guess the theme of Star Wars, I would say yes. That's not diegetic, though. See, that's why we're not talking about that one. Good point, though. Good point, though, Zach. I'm sorry I cut you off with hums or vocalization. But... Here's the thing, Zach. I think that the question that you should be asking yourself is, the Imperial March? Darth Vader's theme? That's diegetic? Our characters get to hear that? This is the, this is the fact that blew my mind. When I was doing my research, actually, to be honest, it was before I did my research. I had the, uh, the pleasure of re-watching Solo about two weeks ago. In Solo, when young Han Solo sees the, like, political propaganda commercial for the Empire, the Imperial March is playing. It is the music in the background of an Imperial commercial. Do not resist. Be a part of something. Join the Empire. Explore new worlds. Learn valuable skills. Bring order and unity to the galaxy. Be a part of something. Join the Empire. This this is canon, right? That it's in this movie? Oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. It's, go, continue before I elaborate. That further. is, so this blew my mind. I literally, I don't think I watched the rest of Solo because I was like, oh, my God. Like, this song is diegetic. And this basically happened independently of my research for this show. And it was a so lightning in a bottle that I realized this. Because, of course, Knights of Vader, that's what our theme song was based off of, the Imperial March, and it's diegetic. Now, here's the thing that I don't know if people noticed. In Solo, the version of the song that plays over the commercial is not the same version that plays in the original Star Wars trilogy, where we came to know and love it. It is the same pattern, the same melody, the same structure, the same timing, everything, but it is a major key. The original Imperial March is in a minor key, and they made it major for their political propaganda propaganda commercial. Zach, I'm so excited. This is so cool to me that this song that I would say is the most famous thing from Star Wars, this is in every musician's toolbox. They know this beat. They know this melody. And it's actually diegetic music. I love it. So now, please, Zach, expand. What else can you tell me about the Imperial March and its diegesism? It's Dianetics uh, Origins. (laughs) Mispronouncing that uh, on purpose. 
they actually did that earlier in Star Wars Rebels, where there's Empire Day. The, oh, em- the day so that the was em- that was an animated TV show. Sorry. Yes. But, okay. Okay. Good. See, yes, I've never it, seen that, unfortunately. Yeah, and they did that as part of the celebration. They played. They, I, I don't know my keys with music, but they obviously was much more. Uh, it was a happier version of the song. It's not that bump, Pro- bump, probably bump, major. Bump, yep. Bump, bump. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. And that was like, because I know I even like, I think it was in the Star Wars show, or maybe in one of the uh, Rebels recons. But they're like, oh, that's Darth Vader's theme, and the Empire's using it as a way of like, like celebration music. Woo! That's awesome. And so I, I, there's a lot of stuff where you can tell in Lucasfilm where, considering that they have all these different spinning plates going on, where it's like, oh, something that's going on will borrow from something else that's currently being worked on. Whether it be like in Star Wars Rebels, where the ghosts will do like a flip and like knock a Tie Fighter into, or knock a Tie Fighter off course. And in Solo, it did that, the Millennium mm-hmm. Falcon. Or where even going earlier, where they had, um, like, what was his name? Star Killer hold, like, the backwards lightsaber or hold it backwards. And Ahsoka ended up doing that for the Clone Wars. Oh, okay. So like, they, they borrow from each other. It's one of those things where I, it's kind of like uh, a chicken or the egg argument, which came first. Sure. Which probably sure. chances are that one probably came first and one either got, got released before the other or one had more of a production delay. Who knows? But no, they've uh, but going back to the Imperial March. Yeah, they've done that a couple times now, where they they've used that as the the theme of the Empire. Oh, okay, right on. See, I'm glad you bring that up. The TV show Rebels. I I did see that in my research for this. There's another one I actually found that I was interested to see if you would mention. Uh, this uh, I didn't find it exactly. I guess I should say this might be homework for Zach and the listeners. But when I was researching the Imperial theme as diegetic music, the Imperial March, I found someone on Reddit, one individual post, that says, way back in the day, there was a 1981 Star Wars radio show. And in this radio show, Luke listens to an Imperial Academy recruitment tape, and you can very faintly hear the Imperial March in the background. So, Zach, I think I have actually found a copy of this radio drama that this guy was mentioning. It is five hours long. <laughs> so I, right. didn't, I did not listen to it to find this. But if, if you want to link it in the show notes, because I have found like a, a web page for it, then people can give it a listen and see if it's in there. But so just like you're saying, it's established apparently in 1981. This was an anthem for the Imperial, the Empire. That is so cool. I, I really love this revelation that this has brought me to. I'm guessing that's one of the radio dramas, I'm guessing. Yes, I think so. All right, that, that, that makes sense. Okay, that's, that's just, oh, it's awesome. And like I said before we move on, now knowing that this is diegetic, that that's such a cool idea, I hope Star Wars keeps using it, because it's a great song. I, I mentioned before, I think this is some something that every musician knows. If you study music, if you appreciate music, if you uh, produce music, anything, you know the Imperial March. You know that beat. You know that awesome bass line. Uh, I think this is just established by where this exists in culture. I've mentioned it before to Zach, but every time I go see Buckethead, the guitarist, he plays the Imperial March on his guitar every single time I've seen him, which is like... Eight times now, or something like that. Uh, 
you hear it, you know, in kind of uh, newer sci-fi things. You know, you always find people trying to use that baseline effectively. The other thing I want to think of or mention is that there is one classical piece of music that really reminds me of the Imperial March, and it very well could be an inspiration to John Williams when he composed the Imperial March back in, you know, the 70s. Uh, the Imperial March existed in A New Hope, right? No, it was no? Uh, introduced with Empire. Oh, hot damn. Okay, so maybe in the, well, that's still the 70s, right? Late 70s? Uh, 1980. Well, oh, it was 80. Okay, I, I would have guessed 79. I would have got that wrong on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I should have phoned Star Zach. Worst Star Wars fan ever. <laughs> so the song that I always relate to the Imperial March is actually, I mispronounced it before. I'm going to pronounce it correctly now. Prokofiev, Prokofiev's uh, suite, his his uh, com- composition to Romeo and Juliet. If you know anything about classical music, Prokofiev did a very, very famous soundtrack to Romeo and Juliet for one of its bajillions of iterations. And it is a very, very famous classical song. We're going to play a clip here. But I think when you hear that, everybody knows it, and I'm sure that you can find YouTube videos of people basically mixing that with the Imperial March. It is such a famous concept in music. It's such a famous melody that, you know, you link it to Star Wars, and I think that's part of the reason Star Wars has just been able to compound and snowball into such cultural significance is because it's really hitting us on all those levels, the music, the visuals, everything. I'm an appreciator, Zach, for sure. Now, I think the thing of when it comes to the Imperial March is that it was always designed as a theme for the Imperials. I know, I think I've seen interviews with John Williams. Oh, okay. where he was a little, Not that he was perplexed, but he always found it interesting that it, it kind of became Vader's theme song. Mm-hmm. Or, I guess, Vader's theme. Hmm. And, and he, he, I think he said, like, oh, I, they wanted a theme for the Empire, and that's why I came up with it. And just over, over a very short period of time, it's like anytime that music was played, it became very synonymous with Vader. And he, and he never developed, again, he didn't complain, but he found it odd that that's just how, that's, it, it went to a very specific character as opposed to the Empire as a whole. Oh, interesting. Okay, okay. Right on. I dig it. I dig it. Good old the Imperial March, that's never going to go away. That'll exist as long as people can hear, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so we've, we've hit three. We've hit three of the diegetic music examples I want to talk about. And I'd say all the three we've hit so far are the well-known ones. Cantina Band, Max Revo Band, Imperial March. Those are the ones people can think of. I want to go to the weirder ones now, Zach. And the next one I want to talk about, I'm a little bummed that Zenger isn't here for it because it's a song from Attack of the Clones. (laughs) The greatest example of diegetic music that exists in Attack of the Clones Maybe the prequels. The music from Dex's Diner. I'm going there, Zach. 
This is our good old 1950s style diner, right? Dex's? What's his name? Dexter Jum- Jumba Jumba? What is it? <laughs> Am, I confusing it? Am I confusing it with um, Lilo and Stitch? <laughs> I think you are. Very, it's funny. I never thought about it before. But very similar character design. Yeah, Dexter and uh, Jumba Jakiba. Uh, they, they're probably inspired. Why do you know his whole name? Because how do you not watch Lilo and Stitch every other night after you watch Spirited Away? It's like the chaser. <laughs> After, I, th- I thought uh, Oddsack was the chaser. <laughs> Oddsack's like the shot of caffeine. <laughs> oh, my God. No, Dexter Jetster. Dexter Jet. Damn. That's a that's a weird name, Jetster. Um, but so I think this is, like I said, one of the, the less well-known. I think that people don't really realize that this is diegetic music. But it goes down in actual, from everything I've read, that this is supposedly when Obi-Wan shows up to that diner. And what is he? He's showing like a bullet to Dexter? Isn't that the concept of that scene? He's like, where's the bullet? A Camino saber dart. A Camino saber dart. I would not have known that. <laughs> it's a bullet as far as I'm concerned. But he's like, yo, Dexter, Jetster, where'd this bullet come from? And what? don't they like sit in a booth and they have a piece of pie or something like that? One of them gets a vodka. And and during that scene, music is playing. And uh, apparently, according to everything I found, Obi-Wan can hear this. This is music that is playing to add to the atmosphere of the diner. I am intrigued by this because, one, it is very subtle diegetic music. And two, uh, this song is very much unlike any other Star Wars music I've ever heard. I'm going to throw in a clip right here. This, if you played this for me, Zach, say you were just like, hey, Rob, I have a song I want you to listen to. What do you think about it? Where do you think it's from? And you sent me the Dex's Diner song from episode two. I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, Zach, I've heard this. This is like uh, this is like a, a song from Final Fantasy V or something. This is like a Moogle song from Final Fantasy V, one of the 8-bit or 16-bit Final Fantasies. I honestly would never guess that this is Star Wars music. This is so different, so restrained. It's it's not a symphony. It's a band. It's like a guitar and a bass and maybe a synthesizer. That's what this song is. And this is what Obi-Wan is hearing when he goes to that 50s-style diner. So here's my question for you, Zach. I I know what Zanger thinks. I know what the fans think about the prequels, about this 50s-style diner. But maybe, maybe, just maybe... This scene was just a push of absurdity. Because I honestly think it is so unlike Star Wars. Maybe like a satire of Star Wars in Star Wars. Am I making any sense? Yeah, you're making sense. Um, I, I, I know there's a very faint melody during the Dexter's diner scenes. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Boom, 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 boom. It's like Surfing Bird, almost. If you remember Surfing Bird. It's like the quiet version of Surfing Bird. Yeah, like it's there. Like it's one of those ones where you might not have noticed it, but your brain did. Mm-hmm. 
it's there, but it's like, cause I, cause even when Rob was like pitching this idea to me, I'm like, okay, obviously there's numerous examples of this in the original trilogy. There's, there's examples of it in the uh, sequel trilogy era, or I guess Disney era. Oh yeah. Can't do it. Yep. That's, I think that's up for debate. Oh, oh, okay. I think Canto Bites up for debate, but okay, um, okay. and I think even you could do the diner almost. I think the diner could even be up for debate because we don't know. I I, I don't know. It's it's just the whole idea because in the prequels there's not a lot of background music. Like think about it. we even though we go back to Tatooine in Phantom Menace, we don't get that shot of them going into a bar. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Like, I don't know. I don't know how Lucas really fought that, fought the urge to if he even had the urge though. But so, there uh, is. But there is I an do, instance in Revenge of the Sith. Okay, okay. I do know that on in Phantom Menace, one of the uh, diegetic music that peop, other people have posted, they say that there is a Mos Eisley street band that can be seen. And so they think that that is diegetic music. Did I say Mos Eisley? I meant Mos Espa. Mos Espa, okay. I, that might be what I mean as well. I don't, I don't it's, know which one is which. It's, it's kind of <laughs> like it's it's kind of like the same thing with the Force Awakens. It's like, oh, we're going back to a sand planet, Tatooine. No, Jakku. It's like, what's mm. the difference? Nothing. Are we going, are we going to Mos Eisley? No, we're going to Maz's Cantina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. All right, sure. Rob. That, here's, here, here's some trivia for you. What is the name? What is the bartender's name in A New Hope? Oh, I don't yeah. know. I honestly do not know. Were. I think it's W E U H R. Hmm. Interesting. So, does he jump in? And is it canon that he jumps into the Cantina band and like plays with them every now and then? <laughs> I don't know. I know he's supposed to be really grumpy, and obviously he doesn't like droids. <laughs> well, who who does? Who does like droids? Right? Their kind's not served here, even on the Knights of Vader podcast. We don't serve droids. Not served here, with or without restrictor bolts, or what? What was it? Restrictor bolts? Inhibitor Restra- bolts? Uh, restraining bolts. Restraining bolts. Damn. Okay. So, so here's a question for you, Zach. Now that we now that we've gone some through some diegetic music, uh, I won't harp on it too much. But you know, Zach knows. The audience might know. I have a a major hangup. I lose sleep at night because the concept of droids in Star Wars makes no sense to me. So here's the thing, Zach. Do you know of any example in canon where there are droids created? specifically to make music because all of these things i've described so far the max rebo band the cantina band i guess maybe not imperial march and dex's diner those are played by organic creatures from what we can see in the movies are there music droids that you know of does a jukebox count can the jukebox like make decisions because that's what i that's how i see droids in star wars droids are sentient droids are basically their own life forms. This is the thing. Like, apparently, the Star Wars universe started with no technology. That's how every universe starts. It builds up technology and eventually hits the point that it creates artificial intelligence. It created artificial intelligence so good that it's basically real life. And it got so good that they needed to put restraining bolts on this artificial intelligence. Is there any step of that process where they made sentient robots, like top-level intelligent robots, for creating music that you know of. All right, I, I don't even know what you stated is actually true, that uh, Star Wars droid technology evolved to a point where they had to start, like, restraining it. I have no idea if that's even true. Well, that's, that's Solo. When they go to the Spice Mines, there's the whole scene where L337's like, I want to free well, all the droids. 
Yeah, because it's just it's it's slave labor. Because even in a New Hope, that's what the Jawas do. The yes, C-3PO and R2D2. You hit the nail on the head, Zach. Literally, robots and artificial intelligence at their core is slave labor. We as humans are making machines do work for us. But in Star Wars, it's reversed. We need to inhibit the robots. We've made them too sentient. That's that's what I'm saying. Like it's backwards to me. Like I guess. Like it like it just it makes no sense. Like we we should just make robots that we can always control. Why did robots become so like sentient that there's one of them that's fighting for robot rights? If humans were smart, we would never let that happen. There's got to be. I know there's a story out there that explains that. I think even one of the one of the books I've read. There's one of the short story. I think it was the the, the Tales of Luke Skywalker or the Legends of, Legends of Luke Skywalker. There's a story about what like what the droids and how they've evolved over time. There's a story there. I just don't I, know. I, how, will, I, don't, I, I forget too it. much of it. I will look into that. I want to read it. That's honestly what I want to know more about of Star Wars. If you if any universe tells me that there are robots pieces of machinery that they need to put other pieces of machinery on to control something went wrong somewhere basically the terminator happened like skynet took control but then we learned how to control skynet that's what i'm saying but i guess to get back to the original point you do not know of any or do you know of any droid musicians no from what i looked up there is there's like one mention of a music droid and it was like in a it was like in a, a young adult like novel from like the late nineties. Okay, I'm gonna have to check that out. That is, I'll the next time I'm on Knights of Vader, if Zach lets me back on, I will have some good updates for that. How does that sound? Ooh boy. <laughs> okay, Zach. Now that we got that out of the way, I had to talk about the droids. It keeps me up at night. Like I said, it's the weirdest thing: droids in Star Wars, the b- artificial the b- intelligence, the, the beep boop trash cans. Yeah, is. The, is there a Rosetta Stone for the beeps? For the boops? <laughs> okay. There's one last thing. One last piece of diegetic, and I'm stretching the term a little here, in the Star Wars universe that I want to talk about. And this is, I think, the one that Zach knows I'm going to talk about, because he gave me a fantastic idea of something to research about it. So, in 2015, this guy named Jack Hearn wrote a book called Heir to the Jedi. And Zach, once again, correct me if I'm wrong, but apparently this is a story about Luke Skywalker that takes place between episode four and episode five. I believe that's the case. And I don't know really the plot of that book. I don't know too much of what happens. I've never read it, but from my research, there is a small, brief mention, a discussion almost, about a band in the Star Wars universe writing a political protest song against Darth Vader. And in the book, Luke apparently knows this song. He is familiar with it when someone else discusses it. So, as far as I can tell, in the book, and the great idea Zach gave me, in the audiobook, this is not played. This is only talked about in hindsight. This song is called I love this. I absolutely love this name. Vader's Many Prosthetic Parts. And according to the description in the book, this song is basically making fun of Vader being a cyborg. (laughs) Now, I think, Zach, you told me when I previously mentioned this to you that you read this book? 
Is that correct? Uh, no, I didn't read the book. Oh, was, okay. I was aware of it because it was one of the first new books of the Disney era. And yes. I remember reading at the time that it was it was left over from before the Disney sale. Yet they just published it anyway because it really didn't conflict with anything they were doing with the new the new canon. Gotcha. And so it kind of got like this vibe like that was stale. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, if it doesn't conflict with anything, that means that obviously it's not. It, it's kind of like it's its own little island in the middle of nowhere. Gotcha. And, and so people kind of feel like, oh, if it has no impact on the events of Star Wars so much in so much that like, oh, we're not going to hold it back or try to retool it. It's like, what's the point reading it then? It's just. Okay. It, it was EU fluff. Sure, sure. So I would say the only point in reading it, someone should read it. And give me any details on Vader's many prosthetic parts that I might be missing, because I would love, absolutely love, to learn more about it. Okay, okay, let's let's talk about what they say in the book before I get into some really, really cool information I found out about this song. So, from my research, in this book, it is given a little bit of backstory, this song. Uh, Zach, does the name Nakari Kellen mean anything to you? No. Okay, so apparently this song was written by Nakari Kellen's mother. I do not know who that is either, and I didn't do any secondary or tertiary research, probably, to figure out who that was. But Nakari Kellen's mother wrote a song, and it's performed by not the Cantina Band, which I was hoping to see, but a group called Hako Droslip and the Tootle Fruits. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that's Siri. I'm taking that's that's in the book. That's in the audiobook too, and I listened to it. Hako Droslip and the Tootle Fruits. I love that name. Tootle Fruits isn't as good as Modal Nodes, but Tootle Fruits is pretty good. <laughs> I like that. So so here's the thing. This song was written, it was performed. It was a political song that mocked Darth Vader, like I already said. And according to the book. Just days after this song was released, however music gets released in the Star Wars universe, I don't know how that happens, um, Darth Vader had the Empire send the band and the the writer to the Spice Mines of Kessel. Because in quotes, apparently in the book there's a quotation, I don't know from who, I couldn't find that, but someone says, Lord Vader has no sense of humor. And he de- he declared the song contraband and just sent these people to prison. That's pretty funny, I think. I really like that idea that someone wrote a song about Darth Vader and in his all of, like, godliness being this master force user for the Sith, he's pissed off about a song. <laughs> I well, really sound- like that. Well, that's like that's like one of those things where like someone would throw in is like a line of uh, a line in the book. It's like, oh, Vader said like like the fact that Vader obviously didn't have a sense of humor. Vader was this. That's a fun, cute line. Like it's one of those things where like no, obviously no one's ever going to corroborate it, or it's not going to show up anywhere else in any sort of media. So that's just a fun little wink and nod that an author would have. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. You're exactly right, and that's I think I, that's exactly what I'm saying. I love this little. Like, it's diegetic music that we don't get to hear. Like, that's probably another term for it. But this is like a song that exists in the Star Wars universe that makes fun of Darth Vader that has only ever been talked about. It's really cool. Yeah, definitely. So the other thing I have to say, because maybe you can add more more uh, context to this, um, but we do get a time frame for when this song gets released, actually. 
I don't understand what this means, but apparently the song was released 10 years before the Battle of Yavin. Yeah, that's... <laughs> what is the Battle of Yavin? Well, maybe not what is, but did I ever get to see that in a movie? Yes, that's um, that's the end of A New Hope. That's the blow-up of the... They blow up the Death Star. Oh, that's the, the first whole... one. That's not like the Battle of the Death Star? That's the Battle of Yavin? No, no, because it's... Cause it, cause, yeah, cause it, yeah, it's called the Battle of Yavin. And that's oh. kind of the... For, again, I'm explaining uh, Star Wars to uh, a normie. <laughs> uh, before now, there's real. I know. I know uh, the Lucasfilm Story Group doesn't like that um, metric for measuring time in Star Wars, but that's kind of how everybody used to measure how when things occurred. Like um, you'd see, oh god, like it'd be Revenge of the Sith was 19 BBY, 19 years before yeah. the Battle of Yavin. Yeah, I've definitely seen that before. Yeah, uh, Attack of the Clones is 23 BBY. Phantom okay. Menace is 33 BBY. Oh, and, uh, oh, wait, hold on. Are you are you legitimately saying to me right now that BBY stands for Before Battle of Yavin? Yeah, Before the Battle of Yavin. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Zach. I never knew this before. I've seen the BBY for years. I literally never knew that's what it stood for. I didn't know it stood for anything. You're blowing my mind right here, Zach. Zach, you legitimately taught me something about Star Wars. This is great. This is absolutely fantastic. I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell people this tomorrow when I go to work. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so, so I have to. I'm sorry to cut you off because I'm so amazed because I learned something that I that I clearly should have known <laughs> forever. Um, but you said that that used to be the way people describe time in Star Wars. Are they getting away from it? Is that what you were getting to? Uh, no, it's, it's, it's still unofficially. I know in the, like I said, the Lucasfilm story group, mm -hmm. they, they don't like that for some reason. They just don't yeah. like the idea of everything being okay. based around that one event. Plus, because it makes it confusing to some people. It's like, oh, you have, because it's, um, uh, for anything that takes place after that, it's ABY, after the, yeah. after the yeah. Battle of Yavin. And yet they, they don't like it, yet they haven't put a, a new time uh, time measurement in, in its place. Sure, sure. So it's still like it's it's not as much like during the EU era where like you'd like if you bought like a new book or like a new book Star Wars book series, it'd be like, mm -hmm. oh, this takes place thirty five ABY. It's like, oh, okay, clearly this is like well after the 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 Battle of Endor, things like that. Gotcha. Uh, where now it's just like I know like in in the books, I don't know what the comics do. There is a timeline, like, like and it shows the movies and the books. There's no mention of the comics or the, the TV shows might be in there. I'm not entirely sure. Where they, they'll say something like they'll have a good time, like where it's like Phantom Menace and like any books that take place between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones will be listed there. Okay. Um, there's not a lot of books in that time period, but like obviously the, the the fertile ground, and that's why it gets even so confusing with like things like Solo and Rogue One, where and then like Rebels and and Lord knows what else we're going to get in that time span, where it's like. Mm -hmm. Like Solo takes place approximately ten years before A New Hope, but nine years after Revenge of the Sith. Then you have Rogue One, which even though the very beginning of that, it's like a it's not a flashback. I guess it's it's when Jin Erso is very young. Then you have oh, it's like it's knocking on the door of yeah. of A New Hope. So how do you classify that? Is it still like a lot of people describe the time frame of Rogue One is zero ABY because it's it's literally knocking on the door of that film. Oh, okay. Fair, fair. 
So it's weird. It's because it, it, that's the thing too. I'm always complaining about on this podcast where it's like, oh, it's hard to talk about Star Wars because the future, much like how Yoda says, the future is in constant motion. It's like, oh, like there's only a handful of characters that are like definitively dead. Like you have a Han Solo. He, like if you talk about Han Solo during like the comics, he's obviously still alive. Mm-hmm. Yet in the overall continuity, we have a point where he's think about. It, there's a point in Star Wars where he's not even born yet, and we have a point now where he's definitively dead. Yeah, uh, Vader's in that category. Uh, I guess Darth Luke's Vader's in... Darth Vader's dead. What? Spo- spoiler <laughs> alert. Uh, uh, Palpatine is not dead because he's obviously Lord Emperor Snoke, or the reincarnation of Lord Emperor Snoke. I hope that's the big reveal of Episode Nine that Palpatine's back. Is the is the guy who played Palpatine in the original trilogy still alive? Yeah. Oh yeah, he's still oh, alive. Get him back. Get him back. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so no, like so yeah, so it's weird. Star Wars uh, continuity. It's one of those okay. things where uh, it, there, there's no ideal system of how to explain it other than being like, oh, using the film, using the films is like quasi landmarks to like sure. base things off of like oh this takes place it's like because a lot of people don't know it's like what what's the time span it's like to this day i have a hard time even grasping what the the, the years that are between a new hope and empire and an empire to jedi sure it's weird because sure. it's not it's like i know it's supposed to be a couple of years but then oh going from empire to jedi it was it was supposedly like six months but now they white we can not not recently, but they, when they wipe the cannon clean, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, does like all that go with it? It's like, like, like where are the goalposts now? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I would have no idea how to navigate that. Thankfully, the things that I enjoy, you know, don't get retconned ever. <laughs> but I guess, you know, that's what, what comes when you enjoy things that are barely known. <laughs> no, but it's it's a good discussion. It's an interesting discussion for, for sure. You know, when do these things happen? I guess I would ask you as a follow-up question, in the sequels, the two that we have, episodes seven and eight, is there any mention of, of BBY or ABY or have they avoided uh, that completely? Well, technically Force Awakens is 38. Uh, no, it'd be like 30... Three thirty-two well, ABY. Well, technically, yes, if we keep that measurement of time. But uh, is that ever mentioned in the movies or like the supporting documents and and material for the movies? In the actual film or any like sort of like like in universe, mm-hmm. it, it's it's obviously widely assumed that it's thirty years after the events of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, but do they use the BB the ABY term in the films? In the films or in maybe like the books that you guys, uh, any of the material? No, I, I, no, not anymore. No, the ABY okay. thing okay. is gone. But they um, haven't re- they haven't replaced it with a new terminology yet. No, like I said, they, the, the films are used like like the films. Like that's a weird thing. Like like, like uh, Legends was the ones the, the Legend stuff kind of said like when the time frame was for everything. Mm-hmm. Yet when Disney wiped that away, it's like oh does. Does that go with it? It's like, because technically we don't, there aren't really a lot of stories in between Empire and Jedi. Like back during the the EU, you had Shadows of the Empire, which was a really big seminal event. Yeah. When when they tried to get back uh, Han Solo and they they failed. And you had the whole thing with like uh, uh, Prince Shizor and stuff like that. I know that the the last time I was on Knights of Vader, I'm pretty sure Force Ghost Jim told me to read that book. Yeah, I, I I have not yet done so, but, but I will one day. I promise. <laughs> one day, but uh, no, it's 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 weird. We we don't know. Like, that, that was the weird thing about throwing out the canon, or I guess the EU was like, mm-hmm. oh, like what goes with it? 
It's like like what like what things, and that's why a lot of these things are like in a weird sort of like purgatory, where like they don't they're not canon yet at the same time until they're until like otherwise stated they could be. Mm-hmm. And so sure. I, that's why things like like the old Republic, uh, the stuff that takes place thousands of years before the Phantom Menace, it's like oh that doesn't count anymore. And it's like well until they say otherwise. There's no reason that it can't be. It's kind of like how we discussed yeah, Star yeah. Wars, Star Wars Clone Wars. It's like not until next year when we finally get a definitive end to the Clone Wars, the the, the war, not the TV show, mm-hmm. or I guess both. Um, <laughs> it's like oh, it's like it's like kind of like Grievous, like how we discussed in the in the Clone Wars episode. It's like we were never in, in canon. We have not been introduced. We we do not know the inaugural appearance of Grievous. Gotcha. So it's okay. like, could it, could it be Clone Wars, where it was the Battle of Hypori? Could it be? And then when you have someone like me who asks Pablo Hidalgo, is that true? And he gives you a snide remark, and you ask for a little clarification, and then some <laughs> idiot comes in and hijacks your conversation. For some reason, he decides to uh, entertain the, the idiot. You don't get an answer, but mm-hmm. hey, isn't, isn't modern Star Wars fun? This is the greatest era to be a Star Wars fan. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, yeah. I, what you just said makes me think of my good old. I went to talk to Jeremy Shada, someone who's not related to Star Wars, but the moderator was young Boba Fett. And the first goddamn question someone asked was, Are you going to be Boba Fett in the new movie? I agree with you, Zach. <laughs> All right, back to diatribes in Star Wars. Diet, diatribes, I like that. This, this diatribe of diegesis in Star Wars. We, we got a little off topic there, but it was all based off of uh, Vader's many prosthetic parts, the last thing, I, the last piece of diegetic music I wanted to talk about. And like I already mentioned, Zach very awesomely gave me the idea when I was discussing this with him, look up the audiobook, get a copy of the audiobook and see if they put music that represents this song in there. Because honestly, in all of my research... This song does not exist. It's talked about in the past tense. You can't find lyrics. You can't find sheet music. You can't even find a glean of what the beat or the melody would be. And so I was thinking, man, if any Star Wars fan could ever dig up any piece of sound that is related to this, an inferiority complex would cover it. And so then I thought, oh, man, is there anyone else that has tried to cover this song? And Zach... I have to give a shout out. Somebody did. I actually really? found I actually found a truly decent studio production quality from a band I, I I've never heard of them before today doing this research. I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. We'll link them in everything, specifically this song. Keelan King, one word. K-I-E-L-E-N-K-I-N-G. Kylan King, Keelan King. They have a cover of Vader's many prosthetic parts. You can listen to it online. Uh, like I said, Zach will put it in the in the show notes. You can buy it for a dollar or name your own price. Uh, apparently, they have a whole album of Star Wars and sci-fi related cover songs. And it's not bad. Uh, the the song I would say is very much in the style of the gorillas, early gorillas. There's some chorus parts, choral, like they have a choir singing lyrics. They have someone throwing in some rap, some hip hop. They have a lot of good guitar. It's very well produced. I want to point out to Zach. 
I'm actually going to send this to him right now so he can look at the lyrics because very, very nicely, this band has listed the lyrics that they include in this song. And so I'm sending this to Zach right now so he can take a look at it while I'm pointing out some of them. These lyrics are great. We get lines of things like, this is about Darth Vader, remember. Capable father, but couldn't give his son a hand. That's great. That's great about Darth Vader. I love it. We keep going. Ultimate power, man of the hour, mouth of the empire, planet devoured. Awesome. Hot under the collar, like Mustafar's temperature. So these are clearly people that love Star Wars, and they've actually made a version of this song. I, like I said, I don't think that they've copied these lyrics. I think these lyrics are wholly original to them. I think it's them just thinking of, you know, what you would sing about Vader. And it's great. We really appreciate it. Hey, Keelan King, good job. Vader's many prosthetic parts. You've put music to it. You've done exactly what I hoped N Inspirity Complex could do in a way that we cannot do it. You do very different music than we do, and you've done it justice. So everybody, give it a listen. Uh, I think as far as I am concerned, or know, this is the only version of this song we have in existence. And like Zach said, it's probably not going to come up ever again. It's just a quick, you know, clever little line. How about that, right? Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, I, I was really, really happy to find that. And if you, you know, you, Zach, or the audience, you look through those lyrics a little bit more, I'm sure you'll find references to Star Wars that I I will never get, and it'll you'll just, you know, bolster the reputation of this track. Um, but I'm saying, you know, I appreciate that music. Right on. Cool. So, so what do you think, Zach? Diegetic music in Star Wars. Did we do it justice? I think we, we talk about uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith. Well, that's the thing, you know, we could we could stay here for six hours and, and I could get fired from my job and you could just lose sleep <laughs> and we could and we could record this whole episode. <laughs> but yes, uh, like I said before, there's tons of examples of diegetic music, but I just chose like a good five that I really liked to focus on. I hit some big hitters. But yeah, you know, the, the Ewok song, Revenge of the Sith. There's so much more in there. We could keep going for hours, Zach. But you know, once again, I'm trying. I'm trying to show restraint. I'm trying. <laughs> he doesn't know what that word means, folks. I mean, I know how to spell it. We hope you know how to spell it. Okay, Zach. Well, well, there, there's there's actually one more thing I'd like to briefly touch upon. Okay. I would like to I would like to ask you, because I do not keep up with the Star Wars news. Is there an official title for Episode Nine yet? Do we know? No, no official title yet. Probably not until sometime in January. Okay, okay, so I would very much like to go on record. I said this to Zach probably eight months ago. I want to say it again. They should call it Star Wars Episode Nine. We Found Another One. Because Star Wars Episode Eight was The Last Jedi, and this one's going to be called We Found Another One. That's my prediction. What do you think, Zach? Is that is that like ninety percent likely? Eighty five percent likely? You're, you're too clever for us, sir. You're too <laughs> clever for, this, for me and this audience. So, so when I I did I, I remember saying that to Zach months ago. I I think I listed off like three or four other ideas for the title of episode nine, but I don't remember any of those. I only remember they found another one. 
One of them might have involved eight curse words and been about buying a ticket. Because I think I'm angry. I was angry in that phase about Star Wars and the Marvel movies. But so here you hear you heard it first here, kids. Star Wars Episode Nine. We found another one. That's what it's going to be called. I'm throwing my prediction out there, and it's going to make six dollars opening weekend. Only six? Six exactly. Not at least six. Six exactly. Oh my god! <laughs> so all these boycotts are working. Yes, ex- yeah, just like, what was it, Jurassic World 2 made $20 million because people in my theater were paying $19 million tickets. So many people are going to get to see Star Wars Episode Nine. They found another one for free. That's going to be their promotion. Oh my god, folks, he's making inside jokes of things that you've never listened to before. I'm making accurate predictions of the foreseeable future. <laughs> oh my god. All right, Rob, you ready to wrap this bad boy up? I, I am Zach. Thank you for giving me this time to talk about our music, to talk about an inferiority complex, to talk about the music of Star Wars. I think if you don't know me, um, I love music. It's the thing that keeps me going, and I'm so happy we could find a way to blend these two ideas together and hopefully give people interesting conversation. I'm sure Zach's uh, ears have calloused over from how much he's stabbing them, but hopefully you enjoyed it, and thanks for listening. We really appreciate Jeremy and I the chance to promote ourselves like this. Thank you, Zach. Well, you almost close. Not stabbing myself in the ear. It's the battery acid. I'm spraying it in in my ears. (laughs) No, but like I said, thanks to Rob. We have an intro. Well, Rob and Jeremy, we have an intro song now. I've won one of those for a while. And I am very appreciative, especially with my very, very crude outline and guidance I gave along the way. (laughs) DuckTales! (laughs) DuckTales. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's going to be the outro music for this. We're going to have to cancel the inspiriority uh, instrumental and just play DuckTales. <laughs> hey, hey, no problem. It was the stepping stone to get to that great intro, so uh, we appreciate it. So concludes this episode of the Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at KOV Podcast. Check out our Facebook group. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. Thank you to Anne Superiority Complex for providing our theme song. Check out the show notes to hear more from them. For questions, comments, concerns, or snide remarks, contact me, Zach, on Twitter, at Rogue Knight, K-N-I-T-E. And on the Cinemodities podcast, where we'll be discussing what, Rob? Uh... Good luck oh, guessing what's going to be, oh, will be coming uh, out to coincide with this episode. Real scary store. Wait, no, you do what came out on Monday so freaked? Bingo. <laughs> oh, I love it. You put me on the spot. <laughs> yes, we will be talking about freaked. Rob, considering that's another one of your favorite things, anything you'd like to say about freaked? Uh, I'm that glad that was discussed for two hours. I'm glad that wasn't our plane. <laughs> <laughs> that's Bingo. in reference that's in reference to this episode blowing up when it releases <laughs> both this and the freaked episode mm-hmm. all righty everybody have a good night bye bye <laughs> <laughs>
where okay. he did Jedi Rocks, and you have. And do you know what the little cockroach man's name is? I do not, unfortunately. Jow yep. Yowza. <laughs> <laughs> That's his name. Do you remember when we talked about Cowboy Bebop on the other podcast? One of the voice actors was Banjo Ginga. <laughs> That's what it, made me, it, what it made me think of. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Gugu Mbatha-Ra. Yeah, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, Jow Yowza, and Banjo Ginga. We're going to form a super group. <laughs> That'd be a great multiple choice. Which of these names is a Star Wars character's <laughs> name? <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love that idea, Zach. I'm pretty sure that's extremely culturally insensitive, and I'm already boycotting our show. (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) Yes, Knights of Air does not endorse any cultural insensitivity. Anyway, Anyway. uh, 